Hey friends, welcome to Conversations with Kenzie, a podcast hosted by yours truly, Kenzie Brenna. No topic goes unturned here. We talk about everything with everyone. We like to get raw and sometimes we get heavy and sometimes we swear. So I'm warning you now. Also, we are working remotely. So audio quality between host and guest may differ. Lastly, check out our show notes for giveaways, fun promotions, or discounts to our favorite stuff. Enjoy the show. All right. Hi, Elena. Hi. How are you doing today? Today is a good day. Today is a good day. I didn't sleep good last night, but that's okay. It doesn't mean that today is going to be bad. So, but I'm hanging in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, You made an emphasis on saying it's a good day. And I want to go a little bit into your background. I think that from the title of today's episode, people are going to know that we're here today to talk about someone who went through the Boston Marathon bombing and that you struggle with PTSD after having gone through that. So good Mm -hmm. days and bad days are very real for someone who lives with PTSD. So tell us a little bit about your background and then we'll talk later on in the episode of what a good day is to you versus what a bad day is to you. Mm-hmm. Well, um, like you mentioned earlier, I'm a Boston Marathon bombing survivor. So uh, my husband was running in 2013, and I was standing in the bleachers directly across the street from where the first bomb um, went off. And uh was a very difficult, <laughs> um, traumatic moment in my life. And I think of it as my worst day. Um, and fortunately I walked away. Many people didn't walk away. Um, three people lost their lives there and hundreds were physically injured. I walked away with an injury that, um, you can't quite see, but it's still there. Mm -hmm. I was formally diagnosed with PTSD in August of 2016 after I was voluntarily hospitalized. And a lot of people ask me like, why did it take so long for your PTSD to manifest? But that's actually quite common for people. It can take about three to five years to manifest. And that's kind of, I was right in the mm-hmm. middle of that. But at the time of the bombing, we had really small children. My daughter was three and my son was seven months old. So when we got back to Arizona, um, you know, I was really in the weeds as a mom and I was taking care of everyone around me and I failed to take care of myself and get the help that I needed. And so that's why I believe it manifested kind of later for me. But over the last, um, well, my hospitalization, it's coming up on four years. I've just worked tirelessly to heal and grow and learn from that from all of this. And Mm -hmm. the biggest part of that has been really embracing PTSD into my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about Elena Breeze before the incident happened and then Mm -hmm. Elena Breeze afterwards, because I know for a lot of folks who have struggled with different types of trauma, oftentimes feel like they have a before me and then they have an after me. So tell us a little bit about your life before this happened. Oh my gosh. 
This is a really good question. Not very many people have asked me this, and it has been the thing that I have mourned the most in this process is who I was before. Mm. Um, I lived a very carefree life. I was very spontaneous. I never thought through going to the mall or a restaurant or Disneyland. It just never occurred to me. Crowds were never a problem. So I lived very easily moving through you know, day-to-day things like running to Target or the grocery store. It was just not a problem. Mm-hmm. And then um, it didn't happen right away. It was about a year after the bombing when the media started like replaying everything again that my PTSD started to become triggered. And those moments became really hard for me to manage. I was having panic attacks in grocery stores and Target. Uh, I couldn't sit in restaurants with my family. But also, I woke up every day not feeling well. And I would say to my husband every day, I just don't feel right. I don't feel good. And his response was, well, you never feel good. But I wasn't making the connection that that feeling was tied to the bombing and, Mm. and what I had gone through And that I was possibly experiencing an injury related to that. And those were some of my early symptoms of just not feeling like myself. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you are able to actually take us through some of the day, if that isn't too triggering, if you are able to walk us through what that day was like for you. Sure. So the day of the bombing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we were staying at my husband's best friend lives very close to Boylston Street in Boston. My husband's from Boston as well. So we have a lot of connections back there. Um, And we were staying there and um, I was able to follow Jeff on an app because there's a chip in their bibs. So I could see where he was and kind of, Mm. you know, follow along. So I would know when I could go down to the bleachers. I had a pass, which I actually still I've kept because had I not had that pass, I would be, I would have been standing on the other side of the street and life could be very different for me today. Um, More different than it already is. Yeah. So I made my way down there around 2 p.m., and you know went through the basic security checks that they had they had they checked my purse they checked me obviously I had nothing on myself and then i met up with my brother-in-law he he was standing next to me and i have to tell you it was just like the most beautiful day in boston it was sunny it was really warm for an april day i'd say it was in this maybe high 50s low 60s which is warm for there. I mean, we've been back there in April when it's been snowing. So Mm -hmm. it was just like a beautiful sunny day. And I didn't know very much about Marathon Monday, but it's a holiday in Massachusetts. It's Patriots Day and there's no school, no work, banks are closed. So everybody goes down to the race and the finish line and it's it's a celebration. And Mm. that is really what it was. I mean, I was watching people finish this race. And I'm thinking to myself, I could do this. You know, there were all walks of life out there, um, young, old, every shape and size. It was so beautiful to watch. And um, that moment was just pierced so quickly. Um, So 
with the first explosion, um, it was directly across the street from me. And at first, the sound, it was like the sound and the smoke were what we noticed first. It was so loud and it kind of echoed up the buildings. And it, the sound waves, if you've never experienced a bomb, <laughs> um, it's known as a bomb concussion. So bombs separate air very quickly. And we could, I remember seeing like seeing waves of air hit mm. me and my hair like kind of blew all around me. And as that settled, because we were thinking, God, that could have been a speaker or something. But as that was settling, I could see the everyone swirling in hysterics and could see what had happened. And as quickly as my brain made that connection, then the next bomb went off. And then it was more of like a, we need to get out of here. Mm. So my brother and I climbed down the bleachers in kind of a orderly fashion. There were a lot of families around us and kids and all kinds. Of, I mean, it was so crowded, deeply crowded. And before we even turned the corner onto a side street, there were bomb squads racing towards us. So it was so fast. And wow. then we turned another corner and the people who had just finished the race with their family members and they were walking the opposite direction celebrating. They had no idea what had just happened. And we were hysterical. So it was a very, it all happened very fast. But for me, I was very present in my body when it happened. And so I have very vivid memories of it. And I'm able to talk about it now and share it because I've been through extensive trauma therapy and mm -hmm. it doesn't trigger me anymore the way that it used to. So, mm. wow. Thank yeah. you so much for taking us through that. I yeah. really, I, I really appreciate it. And I can only imagine how difficult it has been through therapy to work through those events and to continue to affirm to yourself, like I'm safe here and now, and that's mm -hmm. not what's happening right now. And yeah. to be able to go back and retell your story, I think can also help empower yourself and go through those motions. Mm -hmm. So at that point, was your husband still in the race? Mm -hmm. So he was still running. He was about a mile and a half from finishing. So that's funny because we were saving our phone batteries to take pictures of Jeff and us and everything celebrating. And so I don't have pictures uh, from those moments of the bombing and I'm actually okay, okay with it. Mm -hmm. Um, but right away our phone service was cut down there. So I was able to quickly call my dad, uh, and say to him, dad, turn on the news. I'm okay. And then our phones were cut. So it, it mm -hmm. just, there wasn't a lot of time to like document anything, which I'm not that kind of person anyway. I don't take pictures mm -hmm. constantly, so it's okay with me. But um, yeah, it, so his friend that he was running with had his phone with him. So he was able to text me pretty quickly and say, what's going on? Because they, the, they had stopped the runners and they were mm. so close to finishing. So can mm. you imagine running so far and wow. then being told to stop? It was really hard for Jeff. And for years, he had a lot of resentment just around not being able to finish and so in 2018, 
um, we went back as a family, mm-hmm. the four of us and Jeff ran and finished. And the four of us with our kids, we were there together to celebrate that moment. And it was just like, it was so beautiful because they, it's important for us, for our kids to see us do hard things. Mm-hmm. And we were both doing something really hard that day. And so we just embraced that moment as a family and celebrated it together. It was very beautiful. It's a memory that I will treasure forever. Oh, that's so beautiful. And yeah. I think that, that shows that you can actually go back to places where hard things have happened and mm-hmm. continue to be safe and continue to persevere and not let it hijack you back into the past. Right. And I totally understand that like after, you know, you go through all of that training to do the marathon, that it's so healing to go back and to finish it. And I think it's also, it's so symbolic, like we were just mentioning, because it it does, it allows you to say like, I, I'm not going to let this define me and I'm going to finish basically like, I'm going to mm-hmm. finish the race. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this has been a race. It's been a long, it's been mm-hmm. a long one. Yeah. So how did you and your husband find each other afterwards? So I, my brother-in-law and I walked from the finish line. We, it's only like a five minute walk to where we were staying. And it took Jeff quite a while to get back to us because the city just shut down and became an active crime scene, you know? And so I think it took about an hour, an hour and a half or so for him to get back to where we were staying. And I mean, he had his friend with him that they ran together so that everyone was kind of displaced. It became like a just, okay, let's hunker down, eat what we have here kind of a thing, Mm -hmm. similar to what we're going through today. (laughs) And um, just take care of each other. I mean, we were all processing at different speeds, I guess, what we had just gone through. And I did a couple of interviews with press from Arizona. They, it's miraculous how they get your phone number when you're involved in something like that. And Mm -hmm. then I kind kind of decided I wasn't going to talk about it again. And that's what really took me down, like kind of a bad path for myself. So when the reporters called to ask you those questions, when the press called to to discuss it, did you feel yourself shutting down about it? Like, did you start to realize that, wow, maybe I'm feeling a little bit too overwhelmed or maybe this is too much and I don't have the right language for it and this is still too raw? And then that's what made you want to shut down afterwards? Um, I mean, I basically relived what I had just been through twice over the phone with these people. And then I thought, you know what? I'm good. I'm done talking about this. I'm going to move on and kind of file that away in the place in my mind of things to forget. And that was a conscious decision I made because when we came home and I had family and friends asking me what happened, I was like, you know what, what you saw is what happened. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. Absolutely. And sorry, were your kids there as well? No, my sister, they were so young. They were, thank God that they were here at home. Um, My sister was staying with them here in Arizona. Yeah. So you and Jeff get back home and now we're talking about Elena after 
this mm-hmm. event has happened. What were the next few weeks to months like for you? Were you realizing that, wow, something has changed? Or were you quite adamant on, you know, continuing a, what a quote unquote normal life is and, you know, pushing it out of your head and all of that? Yeah, I was very much trying to just move forward and bury that experience. And soon after that, friends started saying to me, you've been really depressed lately. Are you okay? Or you're really down? And then that's around the time when I started noticing I wasn't feeling well, but I wasn't connecting it to the bombing. I was also still nursing my son. So I think that that having those hormones in my system probably helped me for a while Mm -hmm. because I continued to nurse him for quite like six months longer. So, and, um, yeah, so it just became kind of a let's move forward mentality here until it got so bad. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't move forward anymore without help. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's so legit to just want to like forget the bad stuff and not Mm. go through it, like, you know, not process, not go through it because it's so Mm. painful and it's so, it's so scary. Like it, that stuff terrifies us to face and to go through it and get over it. So I'm, I'm of the camp that I also like to just forget and like move on, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've really had to, you know, (laughs) process that with my, my therapist and unpack Mm -hmm. that. Because I don't like to feel. I like to just like, okay, what's mm-hmm. the action plan? How do we get over this? How do we move on? And at the exact same time, I'm so sensitive. So I'm like, me I too. So we're like living this like life of like duality where we want to both shut off and we're also feeling the whole entire world at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about like joining those forces and how can they like, you work together and not, you know, I think being action oriented is really good. And also like feeling and being in the moment is really good as well. So about feelings, mm-hmm. how when you were saying you were feeling, you know, not good, was this like a physical feeling or was this more of like, I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling anxious? What did the start of the PTSD begin to feel like for you? Um, it felt like a, ve- a very fatigued very tired all the time. That's kind of how it started. And then around the one year anniversary, I started having nightmares, really, really bad nightmares that really weren't any, like it wasn't about the bombing. They were worse. They were about my kids, you know? So yeah. So it, it, it really went after the things that I loved the most and cared about the most. And it was very difficult. So, and then from there, it turned into, you know, like uncontrollable anxiety. It was very hard to drive. I also, and still do experience a lot of somatic symptoms. So physical pain or physical symptoms that I think are something different, but really it's just my PTSD coming out in that way. So um, that has been something that I still continue to work through. Um, For those of you who are listening who don't know what the word somatic is, soma means body. I don't know if it's in Latin or whatnot, but soma Mm -hmm. means body. And so somatic symptoms mean these bodily symptoms. And I know for a lot of uh, 
people who've gone through trauma, they can feel like pain, tingles, numbness, um, you know, fatigue, all of these ways where you might think like, oh, I'm like physically, I'm Mm -hmm. sick, like my arms hurt or my legs hurt, or I have pain in these areas. But really it's like, the stress, it's the trauma mm-hmm. and, and manifesting itself into your body. So after you started feeling all of these, you know, th- symptoms come on and the nightmare started to happen, when did you start to say to yourself, like, okay, I think that something deeper is going on with me. I don't think that this is something that is, you know, gonna last for like a week. And I don't think that the fatigue is normal anymore. I think that I have to go see someone. Um, I really tried to live for as long as I could like that. And then kind of the final trigger, I think is what you are asking about. Um, it, so I, it was July 14th, 2016, and I was making dinner for my family and I sat down to catch a bit of the news and it was Bastille Day in France. And that day a man drove a bus through a crowd of celebrators, like celebrations and killed many people. And what I saw in the news was a witness recounting his story to a reporter and something that man said struck me in a way where I instantly was having like a panic attack. Like my heart was beating. I was hot. I was, well, my heart was pounding. I was having palpitations and um, my husband said, why don't you just go to bed? You need to relax. You need to just take a break. And So I went to bed and I woke up in the middle of the night in a major panic attack. And that kind of triggered a downhill slide for me. Over the next three weeks, I stopped eating. I stopped sleeping. And on August 3rd, so just a few weeks later, I was basically in the fetal position of my closet, seeing my death before me. And it was in those moments that I finally knew there's something majorly wrong here. You can't cope anymore. I knew I had everything to live for, but I I couldn't see my life moving forward that way at all. Mm. So, um, so then the next day I was hospitalized. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much. Once again, I'm going to say that often during this, I know that these stories can be really hard to retell. And so I really appreciate your bravery to relive them and chat with us about them. You mentioned that you tried to live that way for as long as you could. And I think Mm -hmm. that's so interesting because I know so many of us pride ourselves on what we think strength is. And we so often think strength is the opposite of illness. You know, Mm -hmm. we think that it is the absence of illness or it's the absence of vulnerability instead of us realizing that strength occurs in both vulnerability and in illness. Mm -hmm. And just because you were going through PTSD doesn't mean that you weren't strong and doesn't mean that you weren't, you know, absolutely remarkable and incredible and Mm -hmm. a wonderful and beautiful mother and a wife and all of the other identities that come along with that. And so I'm sure, and I'm curious what your thoughts are, that when you got hospitalized, was there like a moment of like relief, like finally I'm going to deal with this? And also a moment of fear of like, what does this mean for me? Like what's Mm -hmm. going on? And like, I just want to go back to, you know, quote unquote normal. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've wanted to go back to normal 
this whole time. <laughs> um, but now I'm in a better place where I'm able to, I'm actually able to really see my PTSD as a different lens that I see my life through. One that gives me so much more empathy and compassion towards people who are suffering with mental health challenges because it is not easy. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not, it's, it's very, very hard. The hospitalization was actually really terrible. So I had never been on medications before and they kind of pumped me full of a lot of medication. And so, I mean, I was already not eating and sleeping and they put me in a situation where I couldn't eat or sleep. Wow. Yeah, so it was exacerbated it. Just they exacerbated it. And I I honestly think that PTSD is very I think maybe it's getting better now with, as far as understanding the disease and how to approach it, but for me I needed a very gentle approach. I mean, I was like I was basically an infant who needed mm. serious help. I honestly yeah. felt like I had a newborn and I was the newborn, you know? Yeah. Um, so that experience ignited a fire within me to fight for my life because I knew that it wasn't going to come from medication and therapy alone. I was going to have to work really hard. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that our culture kind of glorifies this idea that a pill is going to take it all away or it's just not going to happen. I mean, mm. you have to dig deep and you have to lean on, and I call them the natural resources that you were born with. And for me, that was patience. I'm a very patient person. I'm also very curious. So I needed to know what it was doing to my body, what was happening inside my body. And it really propelled me to look for every alternative healing method possible. Mm. And I've always been very open-minded and you have to be when you're going through something like this, because you have to be willing to try, to try anything <laughs> that could help. Mm. So it, the hospitalization was hard, but that's really the miracle of my story because that's where I learned what I was made of and what it was going to take. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a good thing to actually touch on is like how we recover from these things. And we talk about this so often in the eating disorder community. When we're in recovery, we know that our journeys look so different, like how we came to have an eating disorder, why we struggle, what triggers it, all of that stuff is so different. So it makes sense that our recovery journeys are also so different different. Like mm -hmm. what works for one person isn't yeah. going to work for another. And we can't have like a blanket one size fits all mm -hmm. recovery method. So for one person, it might, might be medication and mm -hmm. trauma therapy. For another person, it might just be trauma therapy. For another person, it might have to do with, you know, like inpatient treatment and trauma therapy and trying out different types of medication. Other people find that you know, going through like a natural path works, regardless if there's science to back it up or not. Some people just find what works for them. And I think that in our mental health spaces, we need to be encouraging people to figure out what works for them and not yes. stigmatizing anything. Yeah. And I, so I'm one of those who I see a naturopathic doctor now. I was on medication for a while. It's I don't shame it at all. It's definitely been a part of my journey and it might be again. I don't know. I'm open to 
mm-hmm. whatever life brings me. But I do think that we are so fortunate to be alive during this time where mental health is embraced more so than it was a generation ago. And there's so much, so much research going into different products and apps and even research into how these illnesses manifest. So you're right. Every body is different and every body needs different treatment. And you are the only one who can make those decisions. So I say become the CEO of your own healing and find the right team that's going to care for you. And align yourself with people who think similarly to you. And, you know, that's what I've done. And it's helped me so much. I mean, that's really why I go on and share because I do try out all of these (laughs) resources myself for a long time before I share them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I share them because maybe someday something will click for someone and they'll try it and it will give them relief. And that's what I that's what I is so important to me. Yeah. So you were going through the hospitalization. Uh The time that you spent in the hospital, was that period just to stabilize you or were they keeping you there for more psychiatric treatment? Like, were you at a clinic, like an inpatient clinic? Yeah, I was at an inpatient psychiatric hospital. Um, Their goal was to stabilize me and then kind of send me on my way. But when they send you on your way, you already have, they set you up with a therapist and a psychiatrist and all those things. So um, I was only in there for about a week and a half, but it was a long week and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, uh, yeah. So, and then when I left, I spent the next week or so trying, just trying to figure out all of these doctors. And of course, the psychiatrist changed my medications right away. So it was not, I mean, I really left there still very sick. It was not like I was cured at all. Okay. So, not cured at all. And you just went through this like, you know, very raw stay at the hospital and you're not feeling good at all from the medication, Mm -hmm. from not sleeping. I mean, the thing about not sleeping that sucks the worst is like the less that you get of it, the worse that everything else gets. And it's so difficult to force yourself to get to sleep because you can't do that. Like it truly has to come from like the most organic, pure place in your brain. Because just like, I don't know if you felt this before, but I've had like major sleeping issues and I've been so anxious when it comes time to go to sleep Mm -hmm. that I get this like fear of bed. Like I get this fear Mm -hmm. of sleep that I go there and then I'm not sleeping and I'm like, yep, that's it. That's it for me. I'm never going to sleep for the rest of my life. Um, But I digress. So you had this very raw hospital stay and you're leaving and you're on medication and you're still not feeling right. I can't imagine the frustration and I would be really impatient if I were you because I'm a, like, I I like action. I like getting stuff Mm -hmm. done. So what was your plan after that? And were you feeling like when you got the diagnosis of PTSD, did you feel like, was there a sense of relief? Like, okay, I'm going to start healing from this. I'm going to start figuring this out. Yeah. Um, 
I just think that the way the diagnosis was, I mean, like you said before, you're very sensitive. I'm a highly sensitive person too. So what I needed was a doctor to say to me, this is what you have. You have PTSD, but it's going to be okay. We're, you know, you're going to get good help. You can work through this with trauma therapy. You're going to go on and be a wonderful mom. And that's not how it was given to me. I mean, the doctor said, I'm not worried about you. You're going to be fine, you know, because he knew I had the resources to get out there and do it for myself. A lot of the people in the hospital were going home to halfway houses or, you know, they they didn't have the resources that I had. So I was very fortunate. So I really needed that extra hand holding. And once I got it, then I was then it started to build my confidence. Once I started going through EMDR therapy and I was able to expose myself a little bit more to life, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. each time I did that became kind of another like feather in my cap where I was like, okay, I got through that. I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm alive. You know, that kind of a thing. Um, But it it took time. It took time. And yeah. Can you tell us what EMDR therapy is? Okay, so EMDR stands for eye movement, uh, EMD, desensitization and reprocessing. Sorry, I always like have to go through that acronym. And what it is, is it's a therapy specifically used for trauma. And I kind of think of it as a way to like distract my whole system to break down that trauma in my head and work through it. So some therapists will use like paddles that vibrate. Uh, Others will use lights in your eyes or sounds. My therapist actually uses the vibration tappers, but she now uses EFT in addition to EMDR all at the same time. So she'll have something going with my eyes while I'm tapping and I'm saying words over and over. So it's really hard to do all the things at once, you know, follow this thing with my eyes and all of it. But it has accelerated my healing. Um, so I, while I can't like break down for you how it works exactly, I know that our brains are very plastic and our neuropathways can constantly be changing. And so that is what she's helped me do is basically change a lot of habits that I had, some that even were related to my birth. Because that's when you start EMDR, they go all the way back to your birth. And mm-hmm. I did have a traumatic birth experience. So some of those habits that I learned when I was very young and became my default. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to unlearn some of those things and not so much unlearn them, but recognize how they started. And then, then I'm able to move forward, but it's a really interesting process. I've learned a lot about myself and it has helped me tremendously. Yeah. Therapy is a wild ride. I mean, I just think that therapy can just make you realize certain things about yourself that you didn't know Mm. exist. And I think that you touched on something that's really good to touch on is that trauma rewires your brain, whether or not it's like one traumatic moment or a series of traumatic moments, but it rewires your brain. And the way that we go about rewiring our brain after that takes 
months to years, you know, trauma may, might happen in just a few seconds, but those few seconds can change us for quite a long time. And so these therapies, they take a while, but they're so worth it in the end, you know, and mm-hmm. you were, even though that it might sound silly, like someone with vibrating paddles, like <laughs> on you or like, you know, with sounds, with clickers, with your ears or with the, the light in your eyes, what I think a lot of the therapies are doing, it's like retraining sensations in our body and it's retraining us to think about the present moment or to relive these certain traumatic events with the present things that are going on. So our brain is like forced to be both present and in in the past. I don't know, I'm hypothesizing, but no, yeah, it's crazy. All right. It's so interesting too how, and I've I've mentioned this story before on one of the previous episodes, and I can't remember which one, but there's this gentleman, his name is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, and he wrote the book called The Untold Story of Psychiatry, and it goes back into the history of psychiatry and all, and just like the wild ride that we've gotten on to be where we are in present day. And he talks about how trauma is so different for each of us. And mm-hmm. I promise this is going to lead to somewhere. Uh (laughs) Trauma is so different for each of us and that he went through an event where he was at home in university and he actually got his place broken into while he was at home and came in and wanted to like, they put a gun up to him. They wanted to steal, they stole his TV, they stole money and stuff. And then they left and but he never, he didn't have PTSD from that. Flash forward a few years later, he was moving in with his girlfriend and they just moved into a New York apartment and they were installing in a window air conditioner and the window air conditioner almost fell out of the window and onto the street of pedestrians. Mm -hmm. But at that moment, just that flash that happened to him, he immediately had to go to therapy for that. He didn't Mm -hmm. have to go to therapy for this, you know, what would be considered like a big traumatic event, but the smaller one, the image that he had in his head of potentially injuring or killing someone from, Mm -hmm. you know, this big air conditioner slipping out of his hands was enough to hijack him and hijack his brain that he had to go through the therapies to get out of that moment and to, you know, reassure himself that he's safe and stuff. And so Mm -hmm. we can't really judge ourselves or one another on what traumatizes us and what hurts us and how long it hurts us for, you know, we stigmatize mental health so much. And I'm curious if you had gone through that in your own head where you thought I should be over this by now. It's been a few years or it's been it's been a while and I have the resources. I should be over this. I should be done. I'm I'm sick of going through this. Oh gosh, all the time. I mean, a great example is this last holiday season was really really hard on me. My daughter came down with the flu. Um, like four days before Christmas. So that's like the busiest time for a mom, right? You know, and so that stress coupled with the holidays and I, it totally derailed me mm-hmm. to the point where I thought maybe I need help. Like I need, I might need to go to the hospital again. So yeah, all the time I, I feel like I'm possibly moving backwards, but I think that that's a normal, natural feeling for people. Um, and I was able to work through it with my therapist and my doctor, and I went on some medication for a little while to get me back to sleeping. So 
I think it's important to just maybe formulate a game plan for yourself if you see yourself going down those roads and who the people are that you can talk to and share with. For me, um, I'm really involved in a group called Strength to Strength, and they support survivors of terrorism all over the world. And so right away, I got on the phone with another survivor who she has been hospitalized as well. And her just validating some of my feelings helped so much. And I was able to say, okay, I'm going to get through this. I don't need to go back to the hospital, I, but this is what I need, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's important to have that game plan, those supportive people um, in your life that you can turn to. It is. It's invaluable. I mean, you can't measure it. Do you still get flashbacks? No, I don't. Um, at least I haven't had one for a while about the bombing. So that's good. I do once in a while deal with like disassociative feelings, not feeling like I'm connected to my body. And I have to do a lot of grounding work for that. But that is probably one of the most uncomfortable things that I have dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really get the flashbacks as much. And when you were getting the flashbacks, what was one of the best ways that you were able to get out of them? Oh, well, at the time when I was experiencing flashbacks, I was seeing a hypnotherapist and the hypnotherapy really helped me with that. And I also journal a lot. So I think just writing down those feelings uh, helps me to keep track of them. and. It helps me most when I'm in a bad place to be able to look back and see, okay, I've been in this place before. I'm going to get through it. I got through it that time, you know? Um, So the journaling has really been beneficial for me a lot. And I think with flashbacks, a lot of it is needing to ground yourself again, you know, needing, and some of kind of the, the easy things that I've done to get through those include like playing with ice in my hands, Mm -hmm. running cold water through my hands. I find I hold my breath a lot when I'm having those moments. So any way that I can kind of start to take deep breaths again, I use a lot of essential oils here and um, I have some breathing devices that I use that help too and apps. So I don't know. I could go on and on about the things, but sometimes it's just sitting with those moments and saying, okay, what are you trying to tell me this time? You know, instead of reaching for something to take it away, it's just Mm. sitting with it and being okay with that. Yeah. That's such a hard one for me is like knowing when to distract myself from Mm. certain feelings because, you know, maybe I'm in a public place or I'm about to give a talk or I'm doing something that it would make sense for me to just not sit in them. And then when I'm by myself and I can sit in them, choosing to do that instead of take myself away from them. You know, I was actually talking about this with my therapist the other day where I was like, you know, I was having a bad moment and I was extremely proactive. I like went for two walks. I like made myself a smoothie. I made a shower. I had a shower. I made my bed. I did all of these things. And she's like, did you sit and feel it? And I was like, Mm -hmm. I journaled about how to get over it. And she was like, no, Kenzie, did you sit (laughs) 
chocolate. And I'm like, no girl, why would I do that when I could like make my bed and like go for a walk and like do some work? I think it's so hard for us in those moments to also gauge. Yeah. And I mean, my therapist, her, her, what she's said to me a lot is, you know, what you're feeling is information. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. So when you're very uncomfortable with anxiety or depression, that's a good time to dig deep and ask that feeling what it's trying to, to tell you or, or maybe something triggered it and you need to think back through your day before or whatever and, and pinpoint what that thing was. It's so hard to do though, isn't it? Oh, that's such it's a, so great. hard. Yeah, it is so hard to do. And when you hear a quote like that, like it's just information, it can really help simplify it that you can be a little bit more present and a little bit more with the feeling and know that you're going to survive it. Cause I think mm-hmm. that one of the biggest things about our feelings is that they just feel like you can't survive them. And so we just want to avoid them because we just feel like they're going to overtake us. And I don't know what's on the other side. And like, what if I'm sad forever? And like, what if I don't get out of this? And so I I love here. I really love hearing stuff like that. Like it's, it's information and Mm -hmm. it takes a few minutes to get through, but you got to sit with it because if you keep avoiding it, it's going to like turn into this like big, scary, hairy monster that's going to like come out and like get you one day. Yeah, it is. And I think for me, you know, as a mom, here I am trying, you know, my mom really ran from her mental health challenges. And so in a way, she's been a great example to me of what I don't want to do for my kids. Mm. Um, And I want to teach them that one day, if they're living with a mental health challenge, that it's okay. It's okay. And they're going to get through it. So that's why I also why I work so hard at this. Yeah. Because I'm an example to them. And, um, you know, and chances are one of them will. Uh, and I want them to be able to to get through it and know that it's going to be okay. Alina, yeah. thank you so much for telling your story here today. I really appreciate it. Where can everyone find you online? Uh, you can visit me on my website. It's stillbloomingme.com. And I'm very active on Instagram. And um, you can find me at stillbloomingme. Um, so yeah, that's where I am. And I love sharing ways that I've healed. And thank you so much for having me. This has been really, 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 really lovely. Thank you again. You're welcome. All right, friends, you made it to the end of the episode. You know what to do now. Head over to our Instagram account, Conversations with Kenzie, and let us know what you loved about the episode. Or let us know what you didn't love. What questions did we miss? What questions could we have asked differently? Let us know there. As always, stay curious, keep asking questions, and keep making conversations in your everyday life. Until next time.